So what are you doing here? What a great opening line, right? Oh, I have no choice. You have to be here, right? What are you doing here, though? It's not only Ethan or Britt that will get asked that question. You will. You will get asked that question numerous times this year. A, you have Wyoming and Colorado plates, and so you'll be in a parking lot somewhere. What are you doing here, right? Or you'll be, you know, just meeting someone in your apartment complex. They'll notice that you're new, so, so what are you doing here? And it's, it's not just them. It's, it's all of us. Every once in a while, we find ourselves in situations, and people say, almost derogatorily, what are you doing here, right? How are you going to answer that? I would encourage you, don't say, well, I'm a vicar because nobody knows what a vicar is, okay? Uh, even pastoral intern, uh, if, if statistics are true, usually about 7% of my wife's class knows what a pastor is, so what does that mean to a pastoral intern? Or, uh, so you're going to have to figure that out this year, how you guys are going to answer that question, what are you doing here? But you're not the only ones who are ever going to get asked that. We're not the only ones who ever get asked that question. Twice, in the portion of God's word that we're looking at today, God asked that question of one of his prophets. And so let's look at what Elijah answered, how Elijah answered that question. He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And you would expect to almost hear a wah, wah, wah right after that, right? I mean, what a whiner. Oh, right? uh, the poor, poor old me. And yet let's understand a little bit of Elijah's situation when he says what he's doing here. He has just come off of a missionary high, right? There he was on the mountaintop, Mount Carmel, having a huge showdown with prophets of Baal. So he's the prophet of the true God against the prophets of Baal, and they set up this competition. If you have your Bibles open, you can just flip back to the previous chapter, 1 Kings chapter 18, and you see this going on where they say, okay, we're going to put a sacrifice on the altar, and whichever God sends down fire to consume the meat, that is the true God. And God didn't just send down fire, he sent down such an intense fire that it didn't just eat up the meat, but it took up the stones, the very stones themselves. And everybody's saying, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Mountaintop experience. But right after that, he experiences the valleys. You see, wicked Queen Jezebel was not a fan of what just happened. She was a Baal worshiper. So she's rather embarrassed and angry. And so she vows, she says, Elijah, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. So what does Elijah do? He runs. And he runs, and he runs, and he runs. In my mind, I picture that scene from Forrest Gump. You know, you guys are probably too young for that. Uh, but, but that scene from Forrest Gump, where he just runs and runs and runs and runs. For 40 days and 40 nights, Elijah runs. 334 miles as the crow flies, from Mount Carmel up in the north to Mount Horeb in the south. 334 miles is from here to Boise, Idaho. All right? So if I told you your first month is to run to Boise, Idaho, and I came up and flew up there in a month and said, hey, what are you doing here? You'd be like, I think it would sound a little wah, wah, wah as well, right? And yet, what does God do? 
when Elijah kind of complains here or is kind of whiny, God doesn't pull out the violin and, and, you know, get a little sarcastic with him. He doesn't hand him a handkerchief to dry his tears. He doesn't even scold him, but he redirects him. As he says, he says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. If we stopped the lesson there, we would have a lot to go home with. Because that is a beautiful teaching point to say, you know, when we're tired, when we're angry, when we're alone, when we're afraid, when we're sad, when we're depressed, whatever emotion we're going through, where are we going to run? You know, we can run to friends and family, or we can run to to doctors and counselors, and we can run to medications and vacations, all of which are wonderful blessings from God. But they're secondary blessings. The first place that God wants us to go to is to his presence. You know, and I think about uh, that for you, Ethan, as you're starting your year here, and Britt, uh, both of you, that you know, moving to a new place is not easy. And, and there are going to be many times where you're going to experience some of those maybe negative emotions. You're going to botch a sermon. You're going to have a, you're going to have a Bible class that is extremely boring. Or you're going to have a less than a great encounter on an outreach visit. Or you're going to have, you know, you're going to get angry at me because I'm going to fail to communicate something to you. And you're going to be left embarrassed or confused. And, and, and your temptation might be to run home to Brit and complain or, or get on your vicar group chat and say, can you believe what my supervisor did? Or, or, or you might lace up your shoes and just go for a run to, to, uh, to, to get some steam off. And, and all, again, all those things are wonderful things. Talk to your wife. Talk to your friends. Go for a run. It's all good for ministry. But those things aren't the best things. The best thing is what it says here. To find yourself first and foremost in the presence of God. To redirect there. And then look at what happens. Look what happens. As, as, as Elijah runs all the way to Mount Horeb, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. And then just skipping down a little bit, after the wind, there was an earthquake. And then a little bit later, after the earthquake came a fire. All these tremendous demonstrations of God's power. And that can be so helpful when we are down, when we are tired, when we are angry or afraid. To be reminded of God's power can be extremely, extremely important for our life. And I, and I wonder sometimes if we lose that a little bit. Because we're so spoiled living here, and, and very similarly where you lived in Cheyenne and where you lived in, in, in Colorado as well, that, that, that we see demonstrations of God's power all around us that we can maybe take it for granted. But don't. You know, every time you walk out of those doors and you see pea vine looming over us at 8,200 feet and maybe a little snow, I didn't check this morning, there's, there's, was there still a little bit? All right. Uh, you know, still, or, you, or you look down into Lake Tahoe, 100 feet down, and you can still see. Or you, or you look at those things that, that Elijah experienced here. You know, you, wind? Yeah, you're going to experience wind here. You're even going to see, you know, some semis tipped over. You will. Um, or, or earthquakes? Yeah, we get those here too. Maybe we don't always feel them, but one out of every 19 days, there's an earthquake within three hours of Reno. Um, 
or or the fire yeah it won't be long probably when we're going to be start smelling smoke and so so you, you see all these demonstrations of God's power. May those remind you just how our God is in control. And yet, notice what's not in these things. As it says again, it says here that uh, the Lord was not in the wind. The Lord was not in the earthquake. The Lord was not in the fire. There is a difference between God's power and God's presence. They're both wonderful. Appreciate the difference. God's power reminds us of his creativity and that he's in control. But God's presence reminds us of his compassion and his care. And ultimately, that is what is calming to us. That is what's calming to Elijah. Not so much the power, but the presence. Look at what happens as God calls him out. So after the earthquake came a fire, and you got that, but then you got that next very line. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Gentle whisper. Sometimes translated, a still, small voice. You ever wonder what that sounded like? You know, or maybe you're trying to imagine who it sounded like. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you know just has that, that quiet voice. Maybe you're thinking of a of a professor. I can think of Paustian, for example, right? One of your professors just has this, this quiet, meek voice, but it's so engaging. Never has to raise it, right? Or maybe you're thinking of a grandma, a tired grandma who's trying to get that, that little one to sleep, and it's just, you know, a, a raspy voice at the end. And it's so calming. It, but in the end, it, it, it really doesn't matter what that voice sounded like or who that voice sounded like. In fact, we don't even know what was said in this whisper. What's important, that that whisper was there at all. I mean, that is no small point, that God spoke to Elijah. Because that's exactly what didn't happen at that great showdown for the prophets of Baal. You just go back that chapter earlier, you know. Here were these people. They, they wanted their God to speak. And, and what happened? Well, nothing. They called on the name of Baal. They shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. So they shout louder. They even start slashing themselves. Maybe that will get the attention of our God. And again, no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Aren't we thankful that's not our God? Our God speaks. Our God pays attention. Our God answers. Our God responds. Even, even through the miracle of, of having this book, you know, so accessible. We talked a little bit about this in Bible class on Thursday. 
But it, you know, that, that God would create a thing called language so that he could communicate to us. Or you think of who God is here and that he decides to talk to us here. You know, I, I was reminded of that. So I'm at national convention last week and like 500 people in this auditorium. You know how it is when you go to those big things where you're like, okay, I know this group of people, so that's who I'm going to talk to, right? And those people over there and those people over there, oh, they don't even know me. But then if some of them come over to you, and maybe they're like a, a speaker, and they come over to you, and they know your name. You're like, whoa, they know me. Well, that's just a speaker, right? God, the almighty God, decides, I'm going to speak to you. How humbling is that? And not only does he speak to us through his word, he actually becomes a person to speak to us. And so why did, why did God become human? I mean, the obvious answers are, are to live a perfect life so that he could be our substitute, live under that law, keep, keep that law perfectly for us, and that he could die. He couldn't die if he wasn't human, so he had to die to, to, to take our place, to take our sins away. But there's another point that God's word makes. It says, Jesus became human so that we can know God better. God speaks to us in person. God speaks to us in pages. How humbling. And I know there's a part of us that is more drawn to the, to the crashes and to the booms and to the miracles, right? And I think stereotypically, especially guys, right? We're more about action than conversation, Right? Watch today at the picnic. I bet you guys will be playing cornhole and horseshoes. and Maybe women will. I know I've played with a few women out there too. But, but stereotypically, you know, and, and maybe there's like this almost equivalent of a man crush. on. You know, we have a God who can, who can crush mountains with wind. And we have a God who can scorch the earth with fire. Wow, look at him flex his muscles. And yet if that's all God was, was a mountain breaker and an earth scorcher, where would we be? Where was Elijah at that point, still hiding in the cave? Right? But when God spoke to him in gentle whisper, that's what drew him out. That's what brought the calm. That's what brought the comfort. And so, Ethan, you are going to see some amazing things this year. You're going to see not just the, the beautiful nature around here, uh, and demonstrations of God's power in, out there. You're also going to see the demonstration of God's power in here. I don't know who, we kind of talked about this already. You're going to have some people that just come during your time here, and you're going to be like, wow, look at how God's Word totally impacted them. And you're going to just be amazed at the power of God's Word. Yes, appreciate the power. All of us, let's appreciate the power of God's Word. But approach the presence of God's Word. Let's all listen to the gentle whisper of the Word, of the Creator, more than we gaze at his creation. Because it is the gentle whisper of his word that shows us the full story. The, the creation, the nature, the power can only show us so much. 
in starting point, we call that the difference between the natural knowledge of God and the revealed knowledge of God, right? I can, I can stare at, at nature all day. I can look at that tree all day and even be amazed at it. In fact, we had that conversation earlier this week with someone who said, you know, how, does, how do nutrients get from those roots all the way to that very, very top tree, or top leaf? You know, you're going against gravity, and how does it get there? And it's amazing to think of that stuff. And so I can, I can stare at that tree out there all day and be amazed at God's power. But I can never stare at that tree long enough to come to the conclusion that God loves me and that he sent his son to die on a tree for me. That's where we need the gentle whisper. The gentle whisper shows us the whole picture. And it did for, it did for Elijah as well. So when God talked to him, in that gentle whisper, look at what he said. He said, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram, also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Mahalah to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. There's tons and tons and tons of details in there. We're not going to draw every point out. But what's God's general point by listing all these things? Elijah, you don't see the big picture. I do. I'm still in control. Justice is still going to be served. The church is still going to survive, even after you, Elijah. You know, it's not all resting on your shoulders. I already got your successor picked out. My word is still going to work. My word is still working, drawing people out. You're not alone, Elijah. There's 7,000 people who still haven't bowed down to Baal. The whisper is what assures us, what assured Elijah that everything was going to be okay as he saw the complete picture. And that's our comfort, too. We go through life and we maybe think, man, everything seems out of control, but in the gentle whisper of God's word is where we're reminded that everything is okay. And maybe just one more point to glean. I, I started by saying, what are you doing here? Right? And I said, God asked that question twice of Elijah. Um, he didn't actually just say that. What did he say twice? What are you doing here, Elijah? That's not insignificant. Elijah thought he was all alone. And yet when God speaks to him, he reminds him, I know your name. God knows your name, Ethan. God knows your name, Britt. God knows your name, Mike. God knows your name, Hannah. And I we could go through all 50 people here. God knows your name. Which assures us that no matter what's going on in life, uh, you're not alone. You have a Lord who is in control. You have a Lord who invites you into his presence, who draws you out with the gentle whisper of his word. And so if he says, you know, through that word, what are you doing here? Might we simply just say, just listening. Hmm? Just listening to what you have to say. Because it is here and only here that we see the whole picture and that we see everything is going to be okay. 
So Lord's blessings to both of you as you spend your year here. And as you're amazed at everything and all the people and all the activities, continue, not only this year, but for the rest of your life, to listen to that gentle whisper of God's word. Amen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Please stand now as we join to confess our faith.